Mother Toni Morrison has passed on and crossed over into the land of our ancestors. She is now watching over us and imbuing us with her love of language, her embrace of beauty, her defiance of white racism and supremacy, and her invitation to create. On this episode of Modern Faith, we're honoring Mother Toni Morrison. Welcome to Modern Faith, a podcast for the spiritual nourishment for today's millennial woman of color. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Nichelle Guidry. Thanks for being here. Greetings, greetings, all love and peace to you all. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Modern Faith. I'm Nichelle Guidry, your host, and I know that on the intro episode, I said that I would see you in two weeks for episode number one, and episode number one is still in queue. However, there's been a sad and unfortunate turn of events that I've just felt um, moved and tugged by the spirit to um, speak to, and um, that is the loss of um, Toni Morrison. I'm, you know, I have to be honest, like I, I'm still, uh, I'm still struggling with this. Um, I, I'm struggling to, to speak about it and I'm struggling to think about um, the loss of such a formidable and prophetic voice at this particular juncture in American history and in the human narrative you know, Toni Morrison had a way of speaking and writing about race and blackness and the death-dealing effects of slavery and institutionalized white supremacy on black lives and communities and bodies. And to me, it is just a devastating loss in um, this era of heightened evil to lose that voice and that presence. And so I, I just wanted to take some time to honor her. Um, words of reflection and memory and love have been um, filling all of my timelines on Facebook and photo tributes on Instagram. And, you know, Twitter is a little bit different. It's like, Twitter just goes a mile a minute and moved past this several hours after it was announced, which I don't I don't understand. But um, I um, have been really moved as I have tried to remember her by just uh, going back and rereading on the day of two days ago when I first heard the news. I I just picked up my copy of Beloved and I read my favorite passage. And it's not that I didn't know that this was a magnanimous offering to the human spirit, um, the many times that I have read it, but reading it for the first time with the knowledge that Toni Morrison, as the creator and the writer of these words, the architect of this image, 
um, was no longer here. It was um, just an interesting experience and I have not really been able to have dry eyes ever since. But I do think, you know, there's a there's so many different ways, particularly with our cell phones in our hands that people have um, been um, making tribute. And I just, um, I think that sometimes uh, a fitting tribute is just to acknowledge um, the offering. And so I would love to do a reading of my favorite passage um, from Mother Toni Morrison from Beloved. And this is the passage where baby Suggs Holy is standing on a rock and Morrison kind of describes the way that the community has been waiting to hear a word from her, waiting in the trees, waiting in the clearing um, for the spiritual nourishment and empowerment and love and affirmation that only she could provide while standing on the top of that flat rock. And I think one of the powers of uh, Toni Morrison's literature is her ability to write in such a way that you can just so clearly see the moment and see the people and, and of course, feel some of what they might feel. Toni Morrison is one of such an elite cadre of writers that her empathy just seemed to pour into her pages. And there was just this translation of spiritual power and emotion when you read her work. And I can think of no other passage, at least in my reading and in my memory, that um, this comes through so clearly than in this one right here. I'm reading from Beloved. It was in front of that, 124, that Seath climbed off of a wagon, her newborn tied to her chest, and felt for the first time the wide arms of her mother-in-law who had made it to Cincinnati, who decided that because slave life had, quote, busted her legs, back, head, eyes, hands, kidneys, womb, and tongue, end quote, she had nothing left to make a living with but her heart, which she put to work at once, accepting no title of honor before her name, but allowing a small caress after it, she became an unchurched preacher, one who visited pulpits and opened her great heart to those who could use it. In winter and fall, she carried it to the AMEs and Baptists, holinesses and sanctifieds, the Church of the Redeemer and the Redeemed. Uncalled, unrobed, unanointed, she let her great heart beat in their presence. When warm weather came, baby Suggs holy, followed by every black man, woman, and child who could make it through, took her great heart to the clearing. A wide open place cut deep in the woods, nobody knew for what, at the end of the path known only to deer and whoever cleared the land in the first place. In the heat of every Saturday afternoon, she sat in the clearing while the people waited among the trees. After situating herself on a huge flat-sided rock, baby Suggs bowed her head and prayed silently. The company watched her from the trees. They knew she was ready when she put her stick down. 
And then she shouted, Let the children come. And they ran from the trees toward her. Let your mothers hear you laugh, she told them. And the woods rang. The adults looked on and could not help smiling. Then, let the grown men come, she shouted. They stepped out one by one from among the ringing trees. Let your wives and your children see you dance, she told them, and ground life shuddered under their feet. Finally, she called the women to her. Cry, she told them, for the living and the dead. Just cry. And without covering their eyes, the women let loose. It started that way. Laughing children, dancing men, crying women, and then it got mixed up. Women stopped crying and danced. Men sat down and cried. Children danced. Women laughed. Children cried until, exhausted and riven, all and each lay about the clearing, damp and gasping for breath. In the silence that followed, Baby Suggs, holy, offered up to them her great big heart. She did not tell them to clean up their lives or to go and sin no more. She did not tell them they were the blessed of the earth, its inheriting meek, or its glory bound pure. She told them that the only grace they could have was the grace they could imagine, that if they could not see it, they would not have it. Here, she said, in this here place, we flesh, flesh that weeps, laughs, flesh that dances on bare feet in grass. Love it, love it hard. Yonder, they do not love your flesh. They despise it. They don't love your eyes. They just as soon pick them out. No more do they love the skin on your back. Yonder they flay it. And oh, my people, they do not love your hands. Those they only use, tie, bind, chop off, and leave empty. Love your hands. Love them. Raise them up and kiss them. Touch others with them. Pat them together. Stroke them on your face, because they don't love that either. You got to love it. You. And no, they ain't in love with your mouth. Yonder out there, they will see it broken and break it again. What you say out of it, they will not heed. What you scream from it, they do not hear. What you put into it to nourish your body, they will snatch away and give you leavings instead. No, they do not love your mouth. You got to love it. This is flesh I'm talking about here. Flesh that needs to be loved. Feet that need to rest and to dance. Backs that need support. Shoulders that need arms. Strong arms, I'm telling you. And oh, my people, out yonder, hear me. They do not love your neck unnoosed and straight. So love your neck. Put a hand on it. Grace it. Stroke it and hold it up. And all your inside parts that they just as soon slop for hogs, you got to love them. The dark, dark liver, love it, love it. And the beat and beating heart, love that too. More than eyes or feet, 
more than lungs that have yet to draw free air, more than your life-holding womb and your life-giving private parts. Hear me now. Love your heart, for this is the prize. Saying no more, she stood up and danced. With her twisted hip, the rest of what her heart had to say, while the others opened their mouths and gave her the music. Long notes held until the four-part harmony was perfect enough for their deeply loved flesh. Ashe. 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 So the um, afternoon, um, I think it was Tuesday, right, that she transitioned two days ago, um, I was reflecting on my Facebook page about how this reading of the clearing was the first depiction of a Black spirituality, a Black spiritual community, that um, in which the body, the heart, and the mind were all fully integrated that I had ever encountered. I I wrote about you know how this was the first encounter I'd had with that sort of integration in text or in life. Uh, when I read this for the first time, I believe I had to be an undergraduate at Clark Atlanta when I read this, and I remember thinking about. Um, how the the religious leader figure, Baby Suggs Holy, um, in in you know more ways than one, was inviting the community to really come as they are, right? As they were, you know, we have a lot of religious communities that might advertise themselves as "come as you are" communities, but the second you get there, you're you know, um, in some way you're asked or even forced to leave some part of your identity at the door in order to receive welcome or to feel accepted. Um, whereas in this um, passage, what Morrison does through Baby Suggs is she evokes the type of religious leadership that blesses the fullness and the expanse of Black identity. The laughter the, the dancing, the moaning, and the way that in the course of all these different forms of expression, um, the power of the spirit and the transference of those emotions happened such that, you know, the men started doing what the women were doing and the kids were doing what the grownups were doing. And, you know, there wasn't this sort of generational stratification. You know, I think often about um, how W.E.B. Du Bois writes about the frenzy in African-American worship, the, the charisma, the sort of space, right, that we take up when the spirit begins to inhabit our bodies and we begin to reflect on God's goodness. And I think that Morrison just wrote about this so well. And in response to my Facebook reflection, I had two of my um, longtime friends and colleagues respond. Dr. Stephanie Crumpton wrote, Baby Suggs Holy is key in my pastoral identity 
and President Matthew Williams, um, president of the ITC here in Atlanta, responded mine too. And I have to just underscore that because what Morrison is insistent upon is that Baby Suggs Holy wasn't giving out of her expertise. She wasn't giving out of her training. In fact, quite the opposite. Um, and she was also giving um, of herself just out of pure generosity what she had left after uh, slavery attempted to snub out you know, any semblance of an, of a, an offering. She gave her heart her great big heart. And it's not lost on me that that phrase, her great big heart or her big heart is reiterated over and over in that passage. Um, and to me, as a faith leader, it's incredibly indicative of the sort of purity of, of, of intention and motive and purpose that really set baby Suggs apart and perhaps even made her holy. The irony that I have been experiencing this week in the wake of um, Mother Morrison's transition is that just last week I gave a lecture to the Young Clergy Women International, which was a lovely, lovely opportunity and a great time. And in one of the lectures, I wrote about, um, actually, I spoke about Toni Morrison and I talked about this clearing um, that appears in Beloved, and I wrote about the leadership of Baby Suggs Holy. And um, the context um, in which these come to um, bear in the lectures, I was talking about how um, many women in our line of work um, often work out of depletion and exhaustion and rarely get the time, space, or opportunity um, to really create a sense of clearing or create experiences similar to what happened in this clearing um, to find ourselves rooted in spiritual spaces in which at the end of the experience, we too are exhausted in a good way, um, which I think is so beautiful. You know, Morrison is very clear, like in the clearing, there was also something for baby Suggs Holy. There was also something for the person who gave of her great big heart. There was also something for her to receive in the clearing. And I talked about how you know, church as we know it doesn't really allow for clearings for young clergy women, particularly young black clergy women. And so what I looped in is how um, earlier this year, I took a social media hiatus and um, it started out as a Lenten practice when I recognized that I really needed some um, spiritual rejuvenation. And ended up lasting several months um, long after Easter because it just felt so nice to able to um, create and access spaces of intentional spiritual nourishment for myself, even in the course of giving and giving and giving in my line of work. And around that time, I was contacted my, by uh, my dear friend and brother, J.P. Reynolds, who is also a colleague from Yale Divinity School, and um, his latest album is called Rap Gumbo. And he's in the process of creating a supplementary work to that album and asked me to be a contributor 
And I wrote a poem in which I I started out talking about beloved. <laughs> and then um in the second part I moved to lemonade um by Beyonce and in the third part I wrote about my Lenten practice of entering into my own uh clearing of my own making. And I shared that in the course of the lecture and to honor um Toni Morrison and to honor the beautiful work that her work has done in my life. I want to share this poem. Um at least I'll share the f- first part of it. Well, I'll see what spirit says. So, part 1 reads, There is a woman in beloved who had been broken by slavery and had nothing left to give away except for her heart. Her great big heart. Baby Suggs, holy In one particular scene, Morrison allows the reader into the clearing. It is a secret place, cut deep in the woods, that no one knows about except for the people who know about it. And it just so happens that the only people who know about it are black people, who followed Baby Suggs wholly into the clearing, and waited for her to stand upon a rock and speak life-giving words to them. She told them to laugh, dance and cry. She was clear that there was an in this here place and an out yonder. In this here place, the clearing, there was an annunciation of love, a manifested safety, a conjoinedness one to another, a rightful naming of the inhumanity of out yonder. where black flesh eyes backs hands mouths and insides were pillageable without recourse or consequence in the clearing they modeled what it means to steal away to the spirit to acknowledge that the spirit needs nourishment to heed the spirit when it says to stop everything and get quiet stop everything and laugh stop everything and cry stop everything and moan to respect the fact that sometimes you cannot rationalize with evil rather you have to wage war with it in the spirit this scene is sacred to me it always reminds me that my heart is more important than anything else and while it might be the acceptable norm to live my life in a limelight whether real or imagined some secrecy and hiddenness and stillness and quiet are god's good ideas for the sustenance of the spirit and i'll go ahead and read part 2 and 3 part 2 When I watched Lemonade for the first time, I thought of the clearing. How could I not? I have known the heartbreak of love that morphs into some wild out yonder. And I know that it can cause you to think that you are nothing and you're no good and you're worthless. It can make you want to run away. It can make you want to crave the feeling of grass beneath your feet, wind on your face, and the constancy of the air. it can draw you to the water to be baptized to be righteous to see god 
And so, when Beyonce goes into her version of the clearing, with those willow trees and that water, I can relate to taking the journey to this here place. When I'm tired of being in pain, when I'm ready to heal, ready to do the work of healing. Eventually, Beyonce begins to sing in a long white dress, moonlit on a wooden stage. There are women there, women who have also known strife, safe and singing in the clearing, seen in the clearing, saved in the clearing. Part three. For Lent this year, I entered into the clearing, turned off all my alarms and all my clocks because the noise and opinions were too much and I found the compiling pressure to be death dealing. And I found the nonstop videos of my people being slaughtered by the police to be death dealing. And I found wannabe preachers and their self-aggrandizing, quote, ministries to be death dealing. Information overload in an age where one's wokeness must be proven on platforms to be interpreted by the world. And because I began to feel that if my imprint in this world were going to be different, I would need to tune into what God wanted to say to me and through me, how God wanted to inspire me, how God desired to lead me. It wasn't that I had a particular place to go or that I had the time to stop working or just get away. It was about what I made space for in my life. It wasn't as much about eliminating things or people as much as it was about committing to ritual, slowing down, embracing slowness and silence, walking outside with bare feet, drinking my water saying no, getting my full eight hours of sleep, meditating, lighting intention candles, writing and speaking affirmations of myself over myself, letting myself be loved on, telling God that I'm tired and I need rest, trusting God to provide for me in ways that hustle never could. And what I found between the stillness, the intentional pulling away and the vulnerability is that hearing God is not easy. It takes effort and focus, practice and sacrifice, diving deep into the interior to experience deliverance. I am getting clearer in a clearing and in this here place of my own creation where God accepts my invitation to speak with me, to be with me, and to prepare me for my every out yonder. I don't know that I can over express my gratitude for um, Toni Morrison's heart that she gave us in every page that she ever wrote and for her presence in this earth, for her womanish ways, for the countless women that she inspired who came before me that showed me what it looks like 
and feels like to be a fully integrated black woman who is body, soul, heart, and mind. I am so thankful. There is a video clip of um, Toni Morrison that has basically gone viral since Tuesday, and it is her um, responding to a white woman who is interviewing her about when was she going to write about white people in more, quote, substantive, unquote, ways? When were you going to put white folks in the middle of your literature, Toni Morrison? And <laughs> the her response, Toni Morrison's response is just so classic. And to me, it just symbolizes the sort of moral courage, moral authority, and moral bravery that is required of us in these times. Her response was, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was, you can't possibly understand how powerfully racist this question is. The inquiry itself assumes an acquaintance with being in the center of everything. And in so many words, Toni Morrison is just like, this question is just beneath me and doesn't even deserve <laughs> my breath. It's a powerful thing that it has resurfaced. This video's resurfaced at this time. Um, while it is unfortunate that it resurfaced in the wake of her passing, I do think that in some way, this is her reminder from on high to don't give into the fear. Don't give into the singular narrative in the words of Chimamanda. Don't give into the peril that whiteness, white supremacy, white racism intends for us to feel and then, you know, conduct ourselves accordingly. She's challenging us to learn more language of resistance. She's challenging us to create more art, to make our own unique contributions to the ongoing fight for the dignity and liberation of all people, specifically Black people. And I believe of immigrants, as today, ICE has gone into Mississippi and detained, I believe I read about 700 migrant workers while their children were in school and their children were just waiting for them to come get them, but they weren't coming because they'd been detained. And there's no news about how their employers have been reprimanded for exploiting their labor. So anyways, I don't want to get off course. I honor you, Toni Morrison. And I am one among many, many, many who are just so grateful that you have come our way. And thank you for your continued guidance from the land of our ancestors. So as I conclude, love, would love to just hear from you. Um, what have been some of your favorite passages and what have been some of your favorite quotes? And perhaps you even have memories of a time when you heard her give a reading or came to your school or a book club where you read a, a Toni Morrison novel. Um, what are some of your memories? We can um, connect on Modern Faith Instagram page at Modern Faith pod and even on our tr our twitter um, which is also at modern faith pod so 
Thank you all for listening to this special episode of Modern Faith. And I do promise once again that episode one is coming down the pipe. We've come to the end of this episode of Modern Faith. Thank you so much for tuning in. And please take just a second to rate and subscribe to Modern Faith on all of your preferred podcasting platforms and check us out on the web to be able to contact us and find more information at modernfaithpodcast.com. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, keep the faith.